One third of all food produced for human consumption goes to waste. And when I say waste, I don't just mean it doesn't get eaten. Even after it has been discarded, food waste is not composted. Instead, it is more often than not disposed of in ways that are actually harmful to the environment. Now, while this is certainly a double whammy when it comes to wastefulness, at least food waste eventually biodegrades. Unlike another material that by now has earned a sinister reputation on this podcast. Yes, I'm talking about plastic, which takes a thousand years to degrade and releases nasty chemicals into the environment. Luckily for us, there is a team out there that has found a way to feed two birds with one hand by making use of food and other organic waste to produce a plastic alternative. Hello again, I am your host, Mike Lake, and in this preview, I'll be talking with Jeff Anderson about Full Cycle Bioplastics, the company he and his twin brother founded to combat the impacts of plastic waste. Innovation, resiliency, discovery. Join Mike Lake, president and CEO of Leading Cities, as we explore the technologies shaping the possibilities of our future with a preview of tomorrow. Hello and welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Preview of Tomorrow. Of course, I also want to thank all of our listeners and viewers for tuning in. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Jeff Anderson. He is the co-founder and co-CEO of Full Cycle Bioplastics. This is a company that is leading the global transition to circular waste and material systems, tackling two interconnected environmental challenges, both plastic pollution and the landfilling of organic waste. Now, Jeff, before we dive into all of that, uh, tell me, how, how did this come about and, and uh, how, where did you find this passion for uh, tackling both of these issues? Michael, thanks for having me. And yeah, I'd love to. So uh, I, I actually founded this business with my twin brother and we actually, we came up with the idea and, and all of this, you know, we both engineers by background, of course, so always bringing that mindset, but we were living in San Diego in a little beach bungalow and just body surfing every single day. And sounds like a rough life. Oh yeah, it was really tough right after grad school. But uh, <laughs> we were just getting hit in the face with all sorts of things. The seaweed you get, the seaweed's fine, you know, you get hit in the surf and all that. But as soon as you get a plastic bag in the face, um, something something changes in you. It's uh, it's a little bit terrible and horrifying. Uh, and we, we just sort of decided we wanted to do something about it. So we took our, our engineering approach to it and, and decided to do this. Uh, my background and my brother's as well is in basically anaerobic digestion and biological wastewater treatment or treating training bacteria to do stuff for you. So we basically just decided to take a bacterial approach to it and uh, build, a, build a material that is better and sort of an organic version of plastic. Which is really incredible. I mean, we on preview of tomorrow, we've had a few episodes now that's talking about this plastic. I mean, challenges is an understatement um, that we have in the world, and and there are so many different approaches to it. But certainly, creating an alternative to this thing that we we unfortunately, as you point out, are filling our ocean with. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that. By 2050, I think it is, you know, the people are predicting more plastic in our oceans than fish, which is a terrifying thought. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, there's there's the tackling of the fact that this plastic as we know it 
sits around for a thousand years or more. Um, so with that in mind, uh, tell me a little bit more about this challenge as you see it and, and why this was so important for you to tackle. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's worse than we thought. Um, it's it's a lot of things, and it's really it's a materials problem, and it's a recycling and infrastructure problem. So the materials problem is the the plastic itself. It's you know it's made of petroleum, which is a source that's the problem. But the really the end case is the the really bad part. All the plastic pollution in the ocean, but not just the stuff you see, the microplastics and the nanoplastics that some of them become airborne, according to recent research. Uh, and they get in lungs, they get in, you know, they're found in glaciers, which they, they couldn't have gotten to any other way. Uh, and they're all toxic. They're, you know, they get bioaccumulate up through the food chain and do all this, all this random bad stuff. But the, the issue is the material itself. So on one side, just using it at all, it will always be leaking out of the system. No system's perfect, right? But uh, it'll always be leaking and getting out. On the other side, the infrastructure piece itself, you know, recycling is a little bit broken. It's been it's been a, an attempt for a long time, and it's actually one of the greatest things that we've done to try to to educate a population and get them to source separate. Like that's one of the greatest accomplishments in in training people to do things on a societal basis. But the system itself is based on based on market demand. It's based on capture that doesn't happen. It's based on a lot of things. So you just have all this leakage out of the system. It's always going to the wrong places, whether it's landfill or the environment. It's a it's a big worry. And then on that same note, right now, a lot of the food waste on the infrastructure side is going to landfill. And it's, it, you know, only in select areas here in California, we're pretty lucky. We have source separation and organics treatment and organics diversion from landfill legislation. Only in select areas is it even going to compost. But even then, it's mostly just off gassing CO2 into the atmosphere, uh, which is better than methane that it comes out of the landfill. So it's there's a lot of problems with the infrastructure and the way that we treat these things. The recycling system, everyone's working on improving it but I'd like to actually change it in a bigger way. Well, and I do want to come to that in just a moment, but you, you talked about the microplastics, and, and I have to tell you, it, it was a disturbing fact that I learned that, you know, it still kind of sickens me, but that on uh, every one of us in any given week basically consume a credit card's worth of microplastics, and over our lifetime, we're talking 40 pounds of plastic that we've consumed. I mean, I'm not one for diets, but that's a diet I happily go on. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk now a little bit more or, or dive into um, full cycle bioplastics because this is is it's really exciting stuff and and it's uh, it's transformative. Yeah, absolutely. So what we did here is we we wanted to make the right thing to do the cheapest and easiest thing to do. And we took the approach of trying to replace petroleum plastic by using a cheap bioplastic alternative. So what we do is we take organic waste, and that's anything that would go into a compost row or an anaerobic digester, uh, food waste, pre or post consumer, forestry waste, dirty paper, anything that degrades naturally or comes from natural material. And we turn that into, we break it down uh, into its basic building blocks. It's basically like little tiny carbon molecules that are the, the lowest in the chain. Uh, and then we have a different set of bacteria eat them and just get really, really fat. And that fat is actually a biopolymer. So in essence, we're just bacteria farmers. That's what we do. We just get one set of bacteria to break some stuff down get another one to get really fat and, and eat it. And we harvest that fat. That fat is an organic plastic. It's created naturally by bacteria and it's eaten naturally by bacteria. It's been studied as a fish food additive for aquaculture. I've eaten some just to prove a point. Um, it doesn't taste very good because it's not meant to be, you know, eaten as a delicacy, but uh, it is entirely non-toxic. 
and it can replace polypropylene, polyethylene, and polystyrene. Uh, so that's 70% of the world's plastic and much more of the single-use plastics that are really what are the major offenders in the world today. All the major plastic pollution that comes out is single-use. It's amazing, I, although I have to ask, <laughs> I'm really curious, what does it taste like? Um, and don't say chicken. It doesn't taste like much. We actually, we burned some in the past on an accidental overcooking it in the oven uh, as we were trying to melt it. Uh, and it smells like brown sugar when you burn it. But when you taste it, it doesn't really taste like anything. It's just kind of like, it's got a gritty mouthfeel. It tastes like you're eating plastic, but not the not the flavor, just the feel. Okay, interesting. <laughs> so now that you've, you've found this process um, to create a biological version of plastic, what can you do with it? Uh, anything. So it can replace, as I mentioned, it can replace polypropylene, polyethylene, and polystyrene, which are the major uses. So you can use it for bags, cups, forks, knives, water bottles, caption closures, coated paper. Um, we're actually working in on making a polyester replacement for fashion and, and basically, you know, replacing polyester in clothes uh, with wow. organics. Um, any sort of durable trays or, or anything like that. It's actually really easy to make something uh, less degradable by the additives mixture that you put into it, even with non-toxic additives. It's really hard to go the other way to turn something that's not degradable at all into degradable. So starting with this as a as a base is a really good platform to build on. And that's really the way the plastics market works now. It's a whole bunch of different additives for different processes, but mm. we can replace almost everything. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And so we work with a lot of the world's biggest companies on that uh, and, and we're partnered up pretty well in that sense. Well, and, and that was going to be my next question. If, if you know, I'm a manufacturer of X, Y, or Z, it doesn't really make a difference, but I, I'm using traditional plastics to do it. What, what kind of a transition are we talking about uh, to get to using your product? Yeah, so uh, PHA, we're, luckily we're not the first ones to make this type of bioplastic. We make PHA, which is a polyhydroxyalkanoate science word, but uh, basically it's been around for a long time. And so it actually drops in into the same equipment on manufacturing. It has slightly different melting properties. So you have to change the temperature settings on your equipment, but it's the same same equipment just at a different setting. So it's, it's not a big lift. What we're doing right now is we're effectively uh, doing all of our product development work to, to get all the final recipes uh, for the, and the different compounds that people can just use and drop in and to replace your polypropylene for blow molding or your polyethylene for, for tray making. Um, there's all sorts of different manufacturing process throughout that. And so we're, we're generating all of the, the base resins that can then be just dropped in. But the material itself doesn't require a material change. The early adopters right now are the big companies that work with us to do that for their, their first uses. But eventually, you know, we'll just have all that for sale and they'll just be able to buy it and use it in their machines. So coming back to the sourcing of the materials you need to start with, mm -hmm. um, you know, do you see, is this one major facility you envision in the future or is this smaller facilities distributed globally? What's your vision long term? Oh, absolutely. So the, the long view for this is really interesting. The, the mid view even is, is interesting. So we'll, we'll do both real quick. Sure. But effectively, we're, we want to install things everywhere the waste is, which is everywhere people are. So any major metropolitan area can support mega, mega factories. The amount of organic waste coming out of these places is absolutely enormous, whether it's going to compost now, anaerobic digestion. Again, there's all sorts of different avenues for collecting it. And we like to locate on site with those groups. So we'll, we'll put down a facility on a compost facility 
um, and basically make more value out of it. So it'll still make compost, but it'll make PHA as well, and that'll pay for much, much more. Uh, and so we like to aggregate everywhere. So we'll just, we want to be best in class waste infrastructure in that sense. Mm -hmm. And we want to make organic waste valuable, which leads me to the long view. In the long view here, effectively what you can do is you can change the way organics are treated around the world and then the way that plastics are treated around the world. As we can replace 70% of the world's single use or single all plastics, but almost all the single use plastics, uh, we can actually install waste infrastructure at a compost facility turn it into PHA, it goes out into the market, compounded, converted, turned into a packaging product, and then goes out to the consumer. At its end of life, it's compostable. It's certified compostable both home and industrially, so it gets thrown back into the organics bin and comes back to the compost facilities where we're located. We can then break it down into the, it's, it's essentially organic. We can break it down into the same building blocks as the food waste and build it up into virgin PHA again. So we can effectively organically upcycle our own PHA and anything organic into this plastic which means we get this positive cycle started. Not only does the waste become more valuable, so you can incentivize waste infrastructure installation around the world, even where it currently isn't, which is where 70% of the world's plastic pollution enters the ocean. Mm. Um, you can actually start a positive loop there to put in the infrastructure to stop all flow, but then also replacing the materials themselves. So in the long view, we can actually start to replace petroleum-based plastic across the board and have the entire recycling system be minimized away from plastic and into aluminum and glass and then have all of the plastics be organic and recycled through the organics stream and upcycled through the organic stream. It's a huge shift and it's, it stops petroleum-based plastic production and this greenhouse gas is associated with it. It stops the emission of greenhouse gas from food waste and, and going to landfill and it has a long useful life and it's profitable. So again, the mission of this business was to make the right thing to do, the cheapest and easiest thing to do because our feedstock is so cheap in organic waste, drastically undervalued, we can actually produce at the same cost as petroleum-based plastic, which takes away the green premiums, which have always been the barrier to the market. Absolutely. So just to come back to the, the vision of how you can take an existing um, you know, waste collection facility and turn it into um, something much more valuable. What exactly are we talking about adding? You know, how much space? What does it What does it look like? Give me a little sense of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, it, we, it takes about half the footprint of a of a compost facility based on its current volume. Say you had a hundred tons of organic waste going into a, a facility per day, um, you would need about half of the footprint of that space to put in a PHA production facility. And it's just tanks and pumps. It looks sort of like a wastewater system. It's just tanks full of bacteria, one breaking them down, one building them up, but it just looks like tanks holding water. Um, and what'll happen is that's in the example where it's just a compost facility, you'll have hundred tons going in and about 50 tons of compost going out. It reduces by about half over that period, greenhouse gas, water, all that fun stuff coming off. But if you put us in there, you can actually, we pre-treat it. We take all that organic waste, we pull out the PHA as quickly as we can, and we make about 5% uh, of that into PHA. You still actually, then we pass it to the composters, but we've effectively, we've shortened the amount of time it needs to compost by over half. So wow. it doesn't, it, it's already pre-composted in our system. And so it, then it just cures in the composting rows, which takes drastically less time. It take, knocks that time from four months down to two months. So they can actually double their throughput with, on, on less space, which means we're effectively netting out with them uh, even, but making a lot more money for the overall facility. So in the long run, it's, it's delightful. What ends up happening is you, you get the same value compost and the same total, but that's because all that gas that was coming off the pile has been sequestered up front. We've pulled it out before it got the chance to degrade in that open pile. So 
it, that's that's really what we're doing. We're taking gas that would have come off as CO2 off a compost pile and we're putting it into a solid form where it's sequestered and useful. Which uh, is another way cities, for instance, can live up to the, the uh, expectation of meeting the goals of the Paris agreements, which, as we all know, are lofty and critical, but yet nobody's quite figured out how we're going to get there. We're, we're trying to, to help them get there. Absolutely. So, yeah, working with cities and working with municipalities to become the best in class waste infrastructure and then letting this propagate everywhere that people are. That's really the goal here. Um, and, and just to make sure I understood. So when you talk about needing half the facility because of the process you just described, what you're what you're suggesting is the facility will need half of half as much of its existing space anyways so really you're not talking about any additional real estate ne necessary correct yes Fabulous. amazing 100%. yeah so it's it's an interesting one it, it has a lot of positive values the other the other benefit to cities and composting is right now Compost leachate, which is the wastewater that comes off those piles, is treated like waste, and it has to be, you know, has to be treated like wastewater. Um, and we we effectively clean the water for them. We run a, a modified biological wastewater treatment process because we pull out that dirty wastewater in advance on purpose and then feed it to our bacteria. So what comes out of our process is actually already clean. So we're we're effectively lowering their composting costs as well. I mean, it's solution upon solution upon solution. Uh, it doesn't get much better than that. Synergies, yes, lots, lots, and lots of synergies across. It's pretty nice. Well, unfortunately, our time is up, but uh, I, I just want to thank you not only for taking the time to join me today um, and to educating and exciting me and our our listeners and viewers about what you're doing, but I also want to thank you and your brother and the whole team uh, for being so dedicated to this mission and and having such an incredible impact uh, on the world. It's been great to have you. Yeah, thanks, Michael. It's been, it's been great to be here. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Preview of Tomorrow. Listeners like you are essential to advancing our efforts to drive resiliency and sustainability for all. I ask that you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever streaming platform you prefer. Your feedback helps us to grow and share these brief previews of what life in the future can be. In addition to thanking our guest today, I want to thank Peter Roy and Demetria Bridges for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and encourage others to also join us each week in previewing the possibilities of tomorrow. Preview of Tomorrow is brought to you by Leading Cities, a global nonprofit driving resilience and sustainability for all by unleashing the potential of the world's cities. Join them at leadingcities.org.